Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. The wind's 120 knots in the west. It's rotating. It's the biggest question there is, bar none. It's the subject of books, movies, and blogs. That UAP task force, as far as I'm concerned, I do believe it does involve collaborative inputs and um, information exchange with all kinds of countries around the globe. It's a question which engages both science and pseudoscience. It is, of course, are we alone? the universe. There's footage and records of objects in the skies that we don't know exactly what they are. We can't explain uh, how they move, their trajectory. Is there life beyond the Earth? A UFO whistleblower in the US is claiming UFO sightings are a national security threat. David Grouch told the House Oversight Committee he has proof of non-human life forms in UFO wreckage. And if there is is it intelligent life? Assuming there is life elsewhere, which we don't know the answer to that question, but there are reasons to think that it might be widespread. And, and the general idea is that there'll be lots of these simple forms of life. There might be some animal type life. And then even rarer still will be um, technological life. We'll be speaking to Sunday world journalist Neil Ferretzer, who will talk about his beliefs, his experiences and encounter. If you can imagine two extremely bright stars with at about five to eight thousand feet and they're racing around on it. But first, I'm joined by David Catling, a professor in Earth and Space Sciences at the University of Washington. He's the author of Astrobiology, a very short introduction. Professor David Catling, you're very welcome to the Bell Tale. Um it's, 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 it's the obvious question to start off with, but what is astrobiology? Okay, well, astrobiology, as I define it, is the study of the origin and evolution of life on the Earth, and as well as the possibility of life elsewhere. So that could be 
um, in our own solar system, or it could be beyond our solar system, elsewhere in the galaxy, or even in other galaxies. But it's sort of, um, in a nutshell, it's life in a cosmic context. I suppose it's a massive question to ask, but what is life? Well, it turns out that life is actually a pretty difficult question to answer. And the reason for that is that we know what life does. Life reproduces. We know that it has metabolism. We know that it has a genome, this recipe inside each cell that directs the cell how to replicate and how to do its business. Um, so we know all these what might be called properties of life, but trying to put it all together is a bit tricky. But what we can say about life is, is that it has to have a genome, a life as we understand it that, that originated and then, and then evolved is a chemical system. It's also inside, inside a physically bound volume, like life is not, you know, there's a boundary. Life is not everywhere. So in your own case, it ends at your skin and then you go to the air or if you're swimming, the water or whatever. We, we also know that all life has evolved from ancestors. We also know it's all self-sustaining, but it's only self-sustaining in a, in a suitable environment. And that's a pretty general definition. And I think it probably applies uh, to life on other planets uh, as well. In terms of life beyond the Earth, I mean, people have this image, Hollywood delivered image, you know, it's a small green creature, small legs, massive head. But when you look for life, that's not necessarily what you're looking for. You're looking for signs of life. Uh, and it's a very wide definition of life. When we're looking for life, say elsewhere in the solar system, most people obviously are not thinking of these big gray bug-eyed monsters like you get in, in, in the movies. Um, scientists are actually looking for just microbes on the surface of Mars or subsurface of Mars or in some of these, inside some of these moons that have an icy surface and then an ocean inside them. So we don't think that, you know, these big forms of life like us are going to exist in the relatively harsh conditions of Mars or Jupiter's moon, Europa, Saturn's moon, Enceladus. Both of those moons have, have subsurface oceans below their ice. We, we think that the life will probably be more like microbes and, and at best, you know, some kind of slimy stuff, a colony of microbes uh, or a biofilm. So a lot of the life we think in the universe is probably like that. It probably didn't get very far because when we look at life on Earth and the way that it evolved and we look at the fossil record, you know, all of the big stuff that we find fascinating such as weird animals like the dinosaurs or the, the trilobites at a smaller scale and other things like that, they occurred relatively late in Earth history. So we know that the Earth is about four and a half billion years old. And the animal life, all of that basically is in the last 500 million years or so out of 4,500 million years. So just kind of this last, you know, one eighth or whatever of, of Earth history. And before that, life was nothing more than algae, nothing more than bacteria and other microbes. So most of the Earth history, it was pretty simple. And we think that probably that's the case elsewhere, that, that if, if 
assuming there is life elsewhere, which we don't know the answer to that question, um, if, but there are reasons to think that it might be widespread, uh, probably most of it is just this very simple life. But in rare cases like the Earth, you know, you have the right conditions where you can get these complex organisms. I mean, intelligence, if you think about it, is also not a common thing as far as we know on, on, on the Earth. I mean, the dolphins can give each other names and communicate in certain ways. And certainly a lot of animals have, have some rudimentary form of communication. But the kind of technological intelligence just exists with us. And even, you know, something that's remarkable is that the dinosaurs were around for about 170 million years. And there are many different species. But so far, we haven't found zero dinosaur microwave ovens or hammers or any basic tools or any technology. So these these animals, you know, they never got very bright. They always remained a bit thick, really, um, despite, you know, millions and millions of, of years of, of being on this planet. So, so you can be very successful with big teeth and claws or whatever without having a, a big brain. Having read your book, and I really enjoyed it, it left me thinking, I mean, we always know that people say, well, if, if, if one in every million stars had planets and one in every million stars had a planet like Earth and every one in every million of those had, a, had intelligent life, there would still be millions of planets with intelligent life. But the book left me thinking that the Earth and its people are one in a billion billion. There are so many factors which led to me speaking to you today, the size of the earth, its distance from the sun, the size of the moon. It makes me feel very alone, to be honest. Um, well, maybe we are special. I mean, it's a possibility. But uh, there's another part of me which says, hang on a minute, we're made of water, we're made of carbon, we're made of all of this kind of stuff, which when we look at in the cosmos is really common, right? Um, there's plenty of water out there. We see it on all of these moons. We see signs of it on Mars. Um, there probably existed water on, on even Venus, which is interior uh, to the Earth in the solar system. But, you know, now it's a bad planet. But to live on, you couldn't live on it, but you may have been able to in the past. So it depends, I think. I think it might be the case that the conditions for an origin of life are, are not uncommon. I think it's a, it's... It's widely accepted that intelligent life will be relatively rare, but in our own galaxy, the Milky Way, they're probably something like, conservatively, a billion uh, habitable planets, and maybe more. I mean, it could be three, four, five billion, even ten billion. So it's a it's a very crude estimate. And um, you know, is is it really one in a billion, or is it really one in a million? And if it's a one in a million chance of intelligent life, then, you know, we've got a thousand civilizations out there uh, in, in the Milky Way. So it's a, it's a numbers game where we don't know the kind of probability of these last steps, right, of forming complex creatures like animals that can run, jump and think, and then, and then from there getting to intelligent life that actually has technology and communicate across space with radio signals or, or signals of light or, or, or whatever. So I think we just don't know. And I think whenever you say something like maybe we're alone, that's just an opinion. 
And what people like me and my colleagues are trying to do is to push things forward and instead of philosophizing, actually getting data which says, yes, there could be life here or no, we don't see any signs of life yet. And as we push further and further with more and more data, we can begin to say, okay, maybe it's really rare or if we find life in the solar system somewhere else, then clearly an origin of life is not so so rare if it does it twice in our own solar system. It's going to be really common and spread throughout the, the galaxy. There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. The wind's 120 knots to the west. It's rotating. A new report on UFOs, or unidentified aerial phenomena, shows that sightings are increasing. Navy and Air Force pilots made 366 such reports between March 2021 and August of 2022. The Pentagon spokesman noted today that although there have been numerous close encounters with UAPs, so far there have been no mishaps. Now, I'm going to hear from my journalist colleague, the Sunday World's Neil Ferreter. He is a great interest in UFOs and he, he has had, had an experience that sparked this interest. Neil, you're very welcome to the Bell Tale, first of all. Thank you. Thanks a minute. It's great to be here. I'm struggling with this pronunciation, Neil, but what we used to call a UFO, an unidentified flying object, is now known as an unidentified anomalous phenomena. So we talk about these objects and where they uh, originate from or don't originate from. But I was just wondering, in terms of the objects that we're talking about, yeah. I mean, what is the evidence that these objects are here and what do you think they are? I mean, the strongest thing is you've got the guys from the fighter pilots who've gone under oath during the summer um, discussing these objects that they've seen in the sky that they're dealing with on a regular basis. That's a really key point. They're dealing with these objects on a regular basis. I spoke to Colin Kelleher, did an interview with him recently, and he thinks it's advanced technology operated by non-human intelligence. Who is Colin Kelleher? He is the he was the man who ran the Advanced Aerospace Weapons Threat Identification Program. It was the big story that broke in the New York Times in 2017. And he 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 ran that program. There was another program called the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, which was two sides of the same coin. Um, and their conclusion was no, technology from non-human intelligence. And this program, was this an official US government or military program? It was, yeah. It was run by the De- Defence Intelligence Agency. Unless we share this world, this planet with beings we're not fully aware of, then that must mean some sort of aliens. I suspect, I suspect it must do, yeah. But there are, there are schools of thought that it's of this planet and it's always been of this planet, but I suspect it has to be extraterrestrial. I mean, that's what I suspect, yeah. I mean, we're talking about this as journalists. It, this would be the biggest story ever and forever. And yet <laughs> the evidence just never seems enough to cross the boundary into a place where it would be irrefutable. Well, I would just completely disagree with that because you've got testimony from the top people in military under oath. You've got radar signatures the public doesn't necessarily get to hear about this on a regular basis, but the evidence is there and the photographs are there. 
it's all there. If you do the research, you'll you'll see it. I've been studying the evidence now for a number of years, and I, I reached a point where where I was a hundred percent confident. Like I'd had an experience myself, but where I just reached a point where I was a hundred percent confident that this is absolutely hundred percent real. So the evidence is there, Kieran. You you mentioned an experience. Are you prepared to ex- explain your experience, or is it too personal? This is the first time I've ever talked about this publicly. I've only spoken to about four or five people about this, but I don't care anymore. It's twenty years ago. You remember scalectrics? Yes. Right. Well, if you can imagine an invisible scalectric crack in the sky, about two to three kilometers long, and on that scale, invisible scalectrics track, if you can imagine two extremely bright stars, and they're racing around on it, that's that's basically what I saw. Uh, it was around 10 o'clock in the evening. Um, I went to get the attention of a car that was going past just to point and be like, look at that, that's absolute bananas. And uh, no sooner had I kind of done that, they came together and then they dispersed. And that was what I said. Uh, and they couldn't be jet fighters. Well, I actually, I was such a sceptical person. And at the time I was like 19 years of age or whatever, I, I was so sceptical. And so... I just said, look, that's some sort of flare system that the military's testing. That's what I said to myself that I just don't understand. Um, but it was over Whitehall in Dublin, so, you know. And it was totally silent. Did you have an emotional reaction to this? I went into complete denial about it. I, I boxed it off. I said, this is, like, I had enough problems at the time, you know what I mean? I wasn't going to put UFOs, I wasn't going to be a UFO guy. I remember saying to myself, I'm not going to be a UFO guy. That's that's not happening. So I just, I put it into a little box in my head and said, look, no, that's totally weird. But then as the years went by, in my head, I was always, whenever the subject came up, I'd always be like, there's, I always was there's more to that subject. I wouldn't laugh about it or anything because I always felt there was something way more to that subject. There's something going on. As I said to a colleague recently, there's, there's something electrified that zips around in the sky that we don't know what it is. Over 2023, there were a number of stories in what people would describe, I suppose, the mainstream media. I'm talking the New York Times, etc. Could you tell us about some of those stories? For example, back in July, a former U.S. intelligence officer claimed that the government had recovered a crashed UFO containing non-human biological material. He didn't claim this on a blog or on X. He claimed this in front of, uh, while he was being questioned by... Politicians. If you believe we have crashed craft, uh, stated earlier, do we have the bodies of the pilots who piloted this craft? As I've stated publicly already in my News Nation interview, uh, biologics came with some of these recoveries. Yeah. Were they, I guess, human or non-human biologics? Non-human, and that was the assessment of people uh, with direct knowledge on the program I talked to that are currently still on the program. So your man Grush, the top top, top intelligence officer. Um, he did a, a, a three-year investigation, a four-year investigation, and he interviewed, I think, 40 really, really high-level military who all came clean about this program into the recovery of non-human intelligence technology. Then he went and he blew the whistle on it and testified under oath this summer. Do you think that states, particularly governments in the West, particularly the United States of America, are they keeping secrets from people? And if they are, why? Well, so Tom DeLong from To The Stars Academy of Arts and Science, the guy who kind of helped bring around the congressional hearings and did a huge amount to bring this out into the public, he sort of said that there are really, 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 these really strict um, secrecy laws there that are in place. And I was talking to Colin Kelleher about this, like, if you break those, Kieran, it's potentially punishable by death. And it's 
potentially punishable by life in prison. So to answer your question, yes, 100% those those things exist. Um, those secrets, yeah. And why would they keep it secret? Well, there can be a whole host of reasons. Um, if they do have this technology, issues around the weaponization of this technology. Plus also you've other issues around society. I don't know if Biden would ever walk out onto the, the, the plinth and say, you know, we're not alone because I think it might lead to a lot of disruption, especially in financial markets. So I just think, but I actually think disclosure has already happened if you look at what the Geospatial Intelligence Agency la- said last summer to those journalists. I think disclosure has already happened like it did. So you're saying it's not that actually that big a secret. They've actually told us we've just chosen not to register that. Potentially. Neil Ferreter, journalist with The Sunday World, thank you very much. David, can I ask you, when we speak of UFOs, lights in the sky, are you a believer? Uh, I'm not a believer, but I've certainly met people who are, like you say, uh, very convinced about UFOs. And actually, you know, I went to, uh, in, in the United States here, we have these, we have a an occasion which is Thanksgiving when people get together and they have a dinner. And I sort of half ruined a, a good Thanksgiving dinner because uh, it turned out that one of the other people invited was a UFO enthusiast. And um, and then he, and then I said, well, I'm a scientist and I don't accept the evidence for that. And so it turned out into a bit of an argument. <laughs> and, uh, and, and my basic point is that if, if UFOs were as common as people say, we'd expect some physical evidence, right? But when you look in all of the universities, all of the museums, all around the world, there's not a single piece of material or UFO wreckage or whatever that we can actually examine. And the evidence that's often presented are some, you know, experience which is not documented oh i saw this in the sky there's no actual record of it and then when there is a record of it it's always very disappointing you know there might be some lights that flash by or something and in general this just doesn't reach the standard required for a scientist to accept this kind of information i think you know when people do see lights in the sky most scientists would probably say there's probably other explanations for that uh, you can get natural fireballs you can get all sorts of weird atmospheric phenomena uh, things called sprites that that just have some natural explanation from physics um, what's what's impossible to explain is when people say they've actually seen an alien right <laughs> with and with with arms and legs and so on and and that that can't be explained by physics but it probably is explained by psychology um uh, it's not true that just because people believe in things that they're correct i mean if you think about it most people once upon a time in europe believed in witches and now nobody believes in witches I don't know anybody who believes in witches, but if you go back a few hundred years, more or less everybody believed in witches, right? So, so uh, the the spread of a belief is not necessarily any sign of its veracity. As I said, I'm a journalist, David. I'm not allowed to give my opinion normally, but I'm going to break that rule. I'm going to break that rule. Um, the SETI, we look, we look for signals, yes. we look for technology. 
Professor Stephen Hawking is quoted as warning it's not a good idea to tell people we're here. I agree with him. If we found aliens on a planet in, with inferior technology to us, we would simply colonize them, destroy them and take their stuff. Why wouldn't they do that to us? Why is it a good idea to tell them we're here? One, one issue is that we're advertising our, ourselves anyway. We've been doing that ever since radio signals were invented and TV broadcasts were going out. So the Earth is leaking those signals and they go out to space. Now, admittedly, um, as they spread out in a sphere around the Earth, the, the signal gets weaker and weaker and more and more difficult to detect. We're talking about the first broadcast, you know, around about the 1940s or something. So if they're within 80 light years, that's the distance that light travels in 80 years or so, and they've got these very sensitive detectors, they could, they could actually know that we're here. And it's not because anybody deliberately was trying to make us um, visible. It's just, it's just happened, right? Now, there are other ways to make us even more visible where you have a directed beam, and that has happened. Um, people have sent out signals, messaging signals uh, to space, to certain areas. Should they do that? Um, actually, you know, you could do that if, you're a, if you have enough money. Um, there's nothing to restrict you, right? Interestingly, uh, when we talk about colonization and, and cer certainly when we look at human history, it's very dreary, right? Whenever um, a more technologically advanced people have come across more primitive people, usually it hasn't, hasn't ended very well for the primitive people. We think about the, the age of colonization of, in the, you know, starting in the 1600s and so on going forward, it hasn't done very well for the um, primitive peoples. And I certainly agree with that. But whether that projects, our own sociology projects to unknown uh, extraterrestrial intelligent civilizations, I really don't know. Like, they could be very, very different from us uh, in their in their sociology, especially as they evolve. And some people think that we're kind of looking for the wrong thing. So remember, there's also in science fiction, think about Star Trek, where there's the prime directive not to interfere with primitive uh, beings. Maybe, you know, there might be a moral reason why a civilization elsewhere doesn't, doesn't do that. So we're but when we're ever, when, whenever we're thinking about this, it's all sort of extraterrestrial ethics and morality. We have no idea what these uh, people will think. So that's why I'm on the fence about it. Is we simply, you know, don't know. And and Stephen Hawking made this declarative statement, but I think you know that assumes more knowledge than than we actually have. So I think overall, there's nothing we can do about it. We're, we've already leaked our information to space. I think. It's probably not a good use of resources to send out directed beams to certain very narrow areas. I think we're a lot better off just passively listening for radio signals or other uh, signals that could be in the form of light also, visible light um, from other civilizations. And we should do that because if we do intercept uh, signals from other civilizations, think how profound that would be that there are other beings out there. And also, if we could actually decipher these signals, uh, it's possible we could learn a lot. So it's not clear to me that we will be able to decipher a signal, but if we can, it's worth 
it's, it, it will be really worth it. David Catling, thank you very much. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike, preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.